There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to another episode of Titans of Food Service. I'm your host, Nick Portillo. If you're a CEO or a senior leader grappling with the challenges such as drama, gossip, and unhealthy conflict within your teams, then this is a conversation you're not going to want to miss. If you find your team competing for attention, working in silos, or struggling with a lack of trust and clarity, this episode will help alleviate some of those pain points. Today, I'm honored to have a guest who specializes in turning around leadership teams facing these very issues. Margie Olson, a dynamic executive coach armed with a doctorate in organizational development, joins me to share her insights on transforming top teams quickly with immediate results. If you resonate with the struggles of solving the same problems repeatedly and during unproductive meetings or feeling too busy to foster new ideas, I'm definitely guilty of that, that Margie's expertise is precisely what you need. Through her top team accelerator, she has helped leaders just like you achieve remarkable transformations. Discover how Margie and her coaching have empowered leaders to build high-performing teams that trust, collaborate, and drive financial success. Isn't that what we all want? Learn the secrets to hosting effective meetings, setting accountable metrics, and fostering a culture of high-performance behavior. You can also follow her on LinkedIn. Go to linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Margie Olson. That's spelled M-A-R-G-I-E-O-L-E-S-O-N, where she provides resources daily on these very topics. You can also find her online through her website. Go to www.olson-consulting.com. Olson spelled O-L-E-S-O-N to learn more about organizational leadership and performance. Don't miss this opportunity to glean insights on transforming your team from a guest who has facilitated success stories for leaders just like you. Let's go ahead and welcome Marjorie. Margie, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to meet me and talk a little bit about yourself and what you're up to. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So Margie, where do you live? Where are you based out of? I'm in Minnesota. So I'm in the Twin Cities, uh, sitting right now in Minneapolis, uh, in Minnesota in the U.S. near the Canadian border. I just went there for the first time this year. I flew into, what is it, the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport? And- yes, Got to see it, the, the city and, and downtown there in St. Paul, a beautiful area. Thank uh, you. I really enjoyed my time there. So I'd like to start off with the, what I call the fiery five food service questions. So these are just fun icebreaker questions. There's no right <laughs> answer. There's no wrong answer. Just would love to get your opinion. So the first one is, sure. if, you could, if you could have dinner with any person, alive or mm-hmm. historical, who would it be and why? Oh, this is a great question. So my personality is I tend to be impressed by everybody. I really like to have conversations regardless of your background. But for some reason, the first person that came to mind was Jane Austen. And so the time in her life and the messages in her work and how would she talk about that today for some reason came to mind. I love that. What if if you had to choose one type of cuisine to eat for the rest of your life, Mm. what would it be? 
So I would say maybe what we call Tex-Mex. So I notice mm-hmm. I gravitate toward a lot of uh, burritos and nachos. And I do we eat out a lot at restaurants. And I enjoyed your program with the Bond Guards folks. I live near there. Yes. And I do eat a fair amount of Bond Guards cheese. So cheese is on my platter pretty much every day. Yeah, Bond Guards is, is really big up in your uh, part of the country for sure. Based yes. right there in your backyard. Do you prefer cooking at home or dining out? I could dine out three meals a day every day, which people say, oh, I get so tired of it. And so far, I do not. So I do cook at home because I like to be healthy and I would always prefer to dine out. Yeah, I'm the same way. I love the experience of going out and um, being with friends or being with my wife or family and you know, just building memorable experiences with them. I really like that, that social aspect of it's eating fantastic. out. fantastic. Yes. Definitely. Through COVID, it was a bummer to, you know, put a pause on all of that, especially in, in the food service industry. We were hit pretty hard, but we've, we've had a nice recovery over the last I few years. I will say I did a lot of takeout and part of it was to support uh, businesses. And part of it was I really enjoyed that I could do takeout from some of my favorite restaurants that hadn't had that capability before. Yeah. So Margie, I know you've had a lot of success in your life and in your career, I'm sure in your personal life as well. If you had one go-to food that you enjoy eating after uh, a celebratory moment or after a great day, what would that be? So I sit down to a plate of pasta, red sauce, and a glass of wine. And I'll have to say, I'm not doing that a whole lot often because of maintaining health. But when I'm celebrating, I immediately practically crave it. Incredible. And then the last one is, can you guess three of the top five largest restaurant chains in the U.S.? So uh, are you talking the brand at the door or the company that owns them? The brand at the door. Okay, three of the top. Probably not, but I could guess something like uh, Godfather's Pizza and uh, maybe uh, Applebee's or TGI Fridays. Mm. If we're talking chains like Burger King, I would say McDonald's. Yep. McDonald's is, is one of them. Yep. Okay. The top, the top five are McDonald's, Starbucks, Chick-fil-A, Taco Bell, and Wendy's in the U.S. So all of the casual. All right. Yeah. I, I should have probably specified a little bit better on that oh, one. Oh, that's okay. So Margie, maybe a little background on yourself. Who are you? What do you do? So that the listeners can get a little insight into who you are. Sure. So I am a corporate America refugee. I spent several decades in corporate America in a variety of roles. And I'm the youngest child in my family. And so everybody was always older than me and smarter than me and had their stuff together before I did. And so, and and our first leaders are the people that were around when we were growing up. And our first teams are that group. And then the teams that we have at school or at our first jobs. And by the time I got to corporate America, and especially after a while, I noticed that regardless of the industry or the size of the company or which geographical region I was in, the issues were similar. And they also seemed uh, somewhat perplexing to me. So I'm not a person who's going to lift the hood of a car or take a toaster apart, but I wanted to understand organizations. I'd had a master's degree, I went back to school and pursued a doctorate in organization development because I truly wanted to understand organizations. And then it became even more perplexing because what we had known about leadership 
and high-performing teams we'd already known for three decades. So we knew the art, we knew the science, all those books that you've heard about on leadership and team development, they're based on the same principles, they're based on the same early work. So then if we're having the information out there for so long, and this would have been more than 10 years ago, why do organizations continue to struggle? And once I learned some of the answers and started to apply it in the roles that I was in, became very passionate about wanting to help industry in every area, organizations of every size do what they can do better because all the outcomes go up and get better. And everyone in the company that has a better working life impacts five or 10 people out in the world. And so to me, it just seems like a, a great opportunity to address this issue where people think there's not a way to do leadership differently than how we're doing it. And they think there's not a way to grow high-performing teams except for what they already know. And so I'm on a mission. I have Top Team Accelerator and I'm on a mission to help introduce them to that. All right. Well, thank you. That, I, I love that. And, and how long is, have you and Olson Consulting been in business? So we've been, I've been, we've been around for 10 years and it's morphed a little bit and Top Team Accelerator is new in the past year. So what I did was based on my education and my experience and some research and then coming out of school and being back in corporate America, really being able to start to apply to understand what is, I wanted the least amount of energy and time and investment to be able to get the things that we want. So we're, we, don't wanna, we don't need to be all over the place if there are certain building blocks. So after a lot of preparation and work and um, adjustments, I now have the core four pillars that go in sequence, teamwork and uh, clarity and alignment and accountability and performance, that with those in place, whether you're brand new or you've been in business for 20 or 30 years, you can reset that, you can turn that ship, you can fix your meetings right away and uh, develop a much more engaged workforce and be an aligned leadership team, sometimes for the very first time. Of those core four pillars, what is one that you see a lot of times across the board where people really struggle with? The very first one, which is why it's first, and that's teamwork. Yeah. So I worked at a Fortune 500 company where the leadership team at the helm of the company, they didn't even converse. They, 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 were, they were called savants in their field to the internal folks, and they didn't feel like they had to be a team at all. They were, uh, they were running their own companies. Each of those divisions was run like a company, and they had issues, and those issues were about the lack of, of, of being a team together. So one of the greatest benefits of developing that initial cohesive teamwork at that level is that the leader, it's the leader's goals and it's the leader's priorities. And where you have the biggest challenges in companies is those leadership team members, their own teams are rowing in different directions. You're never going to get to California if every from Minnesota, let's say, if everybody's rowing in different directions. Some will and everybody won't. And then what happens is you end up with a, a set of behaviors that become the norm in the culture, which should not be the norm. There should not be gossiping or complaining. If I'm a leader at the, at the top and I have a leadership team, they shouldn't be gossiping or complaining about each other. They shouldn't go back to their teams and say, oh no, we're fine. We can just keep going doing what we're doing. All of that, which is why we start with teamwork, all of that is undermining all of their other work that they're trying to do. It's it's undermining their meetings. It's undermining their ability to 
to be more, to be quick and change direction if need to. It's causing problems, the same ones to come up over and over again. And so companies come away thinking, this is the best we can do. We're doing great. We, we are, you know, yes, things are hard, but you know what? Companies are hard and they have no idea because they haven't had a leader who's, who knows how to do this or a leader who's had this experience, him or herself. They have no idea that it's possible and they think that it just is the way it is. So you can reduce politics. You can take away the fear of missing out FOMO and have people being at the meetings that really need to be there. And you can right away start to fix some of those stuff, those challenges that you had that just haven't had time and attention, freeing up and r- creating room for the bigger ones. So right now, the last thing I'll say with teamwork is right now we live in a world where we've had several years of very uh, difficult Uh, turbulent times for organizations. And so now we have what we think of as a list of problems coming out of that that are pretty hard to solve. Global supply chain, the market, uh, workforce, in-person, remote, So companies think, oh, we have a supply chain issue. Yeah, what can we do about it? Everybody has that. Oh, we have workforce challenges or we people want to be in their pajamas for work. So we're not going to be able to get them to the office. They're missing out on the chance to solve that problem for themselves with each other because they can never get to it because they're always fighting the same fires and solving the same problems. And they don't even realize they've got talent around the table who can help solve this, not for the globe, but certainly for their own company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you think leaders can evolve into high-performing leadership groups? I, a little background on myself is I own a sales and marketing company. We're based here in California and we have a team of about 25 people or so and constantly looking at our team members, you know, who are the leaders, you know, giving those people the opportunities to have leadership roles. Creating a, a cohesive leadership group is, is difficult to do. Uh, what would be some of your maybe advice or tips around doing that? Sure. First of all, there is the art and the science. And so you need to be intentional with uh, everyone can be forgiven for not applying the kind of intention and investment to leadership and teams the way they would with recipes or following the law or, um, you know, their finance. Everyone seems to be in agreement that we are not going to do our own taxes. We're going to hire somebody who's an expert. But leadership and leadership development and teaming and team development have been undervalued. And there just wasn't the realization that you can do it a certain way. And each leader that I've had, they didn't have a leader that knew how to do it either. So if you've had leadership development programs where you maybe bring a consultant in and you spend a couple days in training and maybe you try to keep it alive a few times over the next few weeks or months. But what happens is you become a victim or a survivor of your brain's natural anatomy. So 99.999% of what you're doing every day is automatic pilot. Not everyone is. That's just how we're hardwired, freeing up the brain for um, keeping us safe and opportunities. So if everything is autopilot, what we're talking about are habits. And so the way you focus on your team and the way you look at your leaders and the way you're trying to grow them, so much of what you're doing, the behaviors and the intention and the way you do your calendar, the way you schedule time for that, the way you're fighting fires and solving the same problems over and over, those are habits. So one of the first things we recognize is you will be intentional about 
about it and you'll bring in someone who is an expert at it the way you would bring in someone who's an expert at doing your taxes and giving you all the, making sure you're legal around all that and giving you all the benefits that would be uh, legally available to you. And then you also recognize that leaders cannot learn how to be leaders by just spending a half day in an offsite. There's too much to do. And it starts with self-awareness. So we grow that. And so we do some assessments, some of my favorite assessments. And then we develop in that teamwork module, we develop team awareness. So I can start to speak for the other people on the team. If you've got team members who really don't know each other, and I'm not necessarily talking about their deeply in their personal lives, I'm talking about can each one of them speak to the team that the other one has and what 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 are the what part of the goals the leaders goals do they have and how are they doing and we, um, so that when they advocate for their agenda which is what you hired them for and we become a well-oiled machine and we can kind of mix it up together we can debate and we can I can focus on my team and my work and my department but then the leader decides or we decide however it's set up and then we all come together and say I'm coming with you and I'm moving forward if you don't have the art and science built under that, then you're going to try something and then your habits are going to take over. And three months later, you may not even remember the steps you thought you were going to take. And then you might say, oh, see, this stuff doesn't work. There's that you can't, it's too hard. But the truth is, if you have someone who can observe your meetings and coach you on the leadership of yourself, and then your greatest goal, which is growing leaders that report to you and observed you doing that and keeping the things that are working and taking extra time and energy on the things that are still taking a while, you will start to surface issues that need different solving. Like, for example, there might be someone who's not the right person on the bus or they're not in the right role on the bus, or you may not realize that they wish you would hold them more accountable. And so the shortlist for any individual, whether they're in a leadership role or an individual contributor role, anyone who has a leader needs a few things to be successful. Number one, they need to understand what is the purpose of the company and where we're headed. And what is the leader's goals? And so for me on the team that I'm on reporting to my leader, let's say my leader is on that leadership team. What is our team's goals? What are the goals that we have that get help us help the leader solve the leader's goals and the current priorities? What is my role within that team? And do I have the tools and the, the whatever I need, the processes in place to be successful and do I know how you think I'm doing? So that very last one, we've set up, we've spent millions of dollars on performance management systems, technology that uh, is really hard to, you know, sort of uh, swallow and say, you know what, this is actually rearview mirror. This isn't getting us anywhere this week. Every week, I should know what my leader thinks about how I'm doing. Doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be negative, but it has to be clear. And so, what all of these teams are missing is clarity. So, what any clarity that you can establish with your team, especially the non negotiables, you're not giving them the opportunity to tell you what they should want to be and, and how they want to do their work or what their goals should be. You have the non negotiables because, in order to get your goals met, there are nine things that have to happen, nine, nine goals that teams are working on. And then within those, how are they being successful? When those leaders can hold their people accountable because they're clear and the people know what their leader thinks, success goes way up.
Yeah, I definitely see that in my own organization, that our goals and our purpose, and I love what you said, purpose, goals, individual both, and team. Uh, what is what is my role within and then the systems and processes to help achieve that? I, I we, we, clear, we clarified a lot of that here in 2023 for my business, and I felt that we've really grown quite a bit substanti- substantially. We've promoted people. We put them in into what you said, the, the right people in the right seats, which is very important. Sometimes you have the right people, but in the wrong seats and vice right. versa. So it was really important for a business to be able to... Uh, recognize that and really clear things up for everybody. I I want to go back to one thing you you mentioned about assessments. What assessments do you use mm-hmm. or recommend for uh, mm-hmm. people that want to implement things like that? Mm-hmm. So I have a team assessment that I use that is very clear. And first of all, my assessments are always fast and they're immediately implementable. We are not going to implement anything that people can't remember what the what the colors were or what the alphabet was or what their type was or how that relates to work or no, these are all about productivity and teamwork. So I have my own uh, team uh, assessment and then I love disc disc is really fast and it can give you a little bit of slice of just about the way that people show up when they're working. But then my favorite, my all time favorite, I've even become certified. I'm certified in the others, but I'm certified in this um, in the last year is Len Shioni, who is the five dysfunctions of a team, and the advantage, which is the way he pulled together all of what he is good at, and in and and all the teams that he talked to in 2012, I highly recommend the advantage as a book. He created the Working Genius, and if you have heard of Working Genius, I would say just do it today. It is the best teamwork and productivity tool and assessment. And if you haven't, then I would say that this has been long time coming. It is the kind of assessment. So it's called Working Genius. We each have two working geniuses. We each have two working competencies, and we each have two uh, working frustrations. And the acronym for each of those spells out the word widget. And the acronym goes in in order of sequence. And I'm just going to say, and then we'll come back to talking about the assessment. Sometimes you're not succeeding in your business right now because you're not doing your development or your conversations or your planning or your execution in a logical sequence. So you'll, and, and we also fix your meetings. So this solves for that too. But you'll be in a meeting where you, you're launching a new service, let's say, or mm-hmm. a new product, or you've entered mm-hmm. a new market, and you're, people are coming together, and they're meeting, and they're pretty excited, blah, blah, blah. And then you have leaders who have power who revisit the question. They bring it up, and they say, well, what about this? Or Actually, I just heard our competitor is doing this. And then someone else says, you know what? That is true. We could, because they're creative, we could do these three things. And now you've just you've just rolled back the progress that you had and you're doing it out of sequence or worse or equally bad is you are in the 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 delivery stages you had a lot of people who were really good at asking questions and inventing new ideas and discerning and now you go to execution but you're actually a lot of inventors and a lot of discerners and execution just you keep revisiting because that's a lot more fun and you're not actually getting to execution so widget spells out wonder which which is the people who ask a lot of questions, that's a genius. Mm. I spent all those years in corporate America asking questions and I just kept thinking, Margie, just stop asking questions. You're going to be a lot more successful. You're going to make these teams a lot happier and these leaders a lot happier if you would ask fewer questions. That's not what they hired you for. That's not your role. I is invention. These people are creating all day long. You, they can't not. And we need them for that. 
And it's both the the kind of creativity that is just taking something and making it better, solving a problem, or creating something from scratch. D is discerning. So I'm a W and I'm a D. Discerners are, we can call it intuitive, highly intuitive. I can connect dots and recognize trends in a split second. I never knew why. And it has made me unpopular in the wrong format, in the wrong venue, (laughs) because I can take anything that you have and I can say, I think that's going to work great. Or I think that's going to have some challenges. Or have you thought about this? Or, but what about this? And people might say, why is she even going there? We did not hire her for that. And also they'll say, well, how do you know? And I have to admit, I don't know how I know. And I've heard that for discerning, for example, 85% of the time, we're actually accurate. We don't know which is which, by the way. So it's a, we're, we're still human. Okay, so that's discerning. G is galvanizing. So these are the people in the organization that rally everybody and get them rowing in the direction of the goals of the particular project or the change. E is enablement. And these are the people that know how stuff gets done in the organization. If you don't have enablement people executing, you're, they're just, they're just, you're just guessing. Or you've got wanderers executing. Executing and what they'd rather do is, is add value by wondering. And then the T is that closing that loop, checking the item off the list. That's tenacity. And that is um, finishing the job. They, they really get a thrill by checking the box. Now, I don't get a thrill by checking the box, but I do like execution, but they get a thrill by checking the box. When you have those six geniuses in place and you have those top two, people know what their top two is and they find a way to use them and add value for you, all of a sudden your meetings become a hundred times better um, because you're recognizing which phase are we in and which sequence are we going in and you make sure that the people that are there are the right people for the sequence, the phase that you're in. But I will tell you, last thing I'll say about working generous uh, genius is when I did the assessment, I answered and my results came out different than, than what I am. But I knew it right away. It said I was a wanderer and it said I was a galvanizer. And I am really good at galvanizing. I can get up with a microphone, talk in front of a bunch of people. I can motivate and you know, you'll see my passionate side and I'm very oh, organized yeah. so I can help. I don't want to spend my day doing that all day. I'll do that some, but it, but that's, but, but I, but the discerning really feeds me. And so I read the descriptions and I had somebody helping me facilitate with it. And we learned that I was a WD. When I read the descriptions thoroughly and understood it, I had these little tears. <laughs> you know, I'm both delighted and sort of emotional. And when I have facilitated it, I started with facilitating it with friends and family and volunteer boards that I was on. I could see their tears or their laughter. It's as if they were seen for the first time. And rather than putting a square uh, peg into a round hole, and rather than being fired because I'm always asking questions or giving my opinion, uh, I can add value by bringing that to the table. And if you're a tenacity person, I'm going to make sure that you're on the right projects at the right time so that we can finish and move on to the next thing. Sure. When hiring somebody, do you recommend to those that you work with to provide an assessment to the interviewee? Is that something that's important to do prior to the hiring process or during the hiring process? It is. And uh, sometimes you, and then you need to meet them because sometimes people think, oh, I really need a role or I really wanted to work for this company or this is exactly the level that I've been hoping for. So I'm going to see if I can answer the assessment the way that for what they're looking for, which is not the way you're, they're, they're not trusting the assessment and whatever. But 
I um, hired someone at one point a year ago, and within about five minutes of meeting them, I had an idea for where they were at, and uh, we did the Working Genius Assessment, and it confirmed uh, what I was thinking. Unfortunately, it's not what I needed in the role that I was hiring for, mm. and I hired them anyway, and I was I was excited about using their Working Geniuses. And then I got into it and I still had a gap for the things I was planning to hire them for. So I think DISC is really good for making sure that you've got, not, not that you've got all of the bases covered, which is what you need for working genius. And you can borrow from departments and whatever. So you don't have to just only hire for working genius. But DISC helps you understand if the person is more of a driver. And so mm. their energy and their speed is going to be different. So it just helps people understand each other. And if I'm a driver and I, so that's the D, if I'm a driver, I can dial that up or dial that down depending upon what the situation is and who I work with. If you have a role that does require, let's say, in working genius, you really need them to be a galvanizer or you need them to be the, the person that knows how things get done. And they actually feel good about that. We can undervalue that as a culture. So, so you as a company want to value each of those six. One is not any more important than the other. One is now you could say one is sexier than the other or more fun than the other, but that's actually not true. That's just, those are not your geniuses. It is so fun to work in my geniuses. So you would not be hiring someone to get that enablement piece done if what you really need is someone who is who comes to you and they they're very inventive. They just want to create all day long. That is not what I need. The other thing and I'm just going to add this separate from the assessments is we're doing onboarding all wrong. Mm -hmm. So when you're bringing somebody in, into the organization, you want them to hang out with you and your team for six weeks. And I don't mean an hour a day. I mean, they're sitting by you. They're on Zoom with you. You you risk such a large investment and the, the missed opportunities for the success they could have when it takes them forever to figure out how are you organized? who who's Who's in your organization that are the people that do what? What are the goals? What is your style? And in that six weeks of we're spending a lot of time together, even recognizing it's going to take your time. It is going mm -hmm. to take your investment of space and it's going to take you away from some other things, but you're going to be so happy a year from now when either they're gone because they were the wrong person or they're here and they've been adding value much earlier than they would have. And also they feel better because they're not sitting somewhere reading a bunch of stuff and no one's talking to them and they're not hearing it. It is such a colossal waste of time. So when you know somebody's working genius and you've had the 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 disc and the, the team assessment, when they you know who they are in that piece, you can start right away to incorporate that and integrate them into the work that you're doing and, and the conversations you all are having. And they don't have to add value on day one. They're learning from you and you all, it, it jettisons you. It's like leapfrogging way over a whole bunch of uh, gaps and, and low energy times and it, it takes what could be onboarding for six to nine months and it really does turn it into six weeks. Yeah. If you had the intent attention of every leader, let's say a C-suite level leader uh, in the country, what advice would you give to them? That they really can make the world a better place by doing it differently and they don't know that it's possible because it's not on the cover of Forbes. It's not talking about a pickleball. They are not talking about it at dinner with peers, colleagues, family, friends. They're, they're willing to talk about some of their most personal details in life, but this vulnerability that I must be the only one, I think everybody else has this figured out. 
I don't want to tell people that I got to this level and I'm not actually sure exactly how to do it. I'm kind of looking for a, a playbook or a recipe book or some, a menu. And so I want them to know you're not the only one. It's you and everybody, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very rare that people have uh, cracked the code and brought in the right people and had them stay for a while and really set it up. Everyone else, they're success by accident or they are really struggling and they don't know that it could be so much better. So that feeling of burnout, that feeling of, I thought this was going to be better than it is. I couldn't wait to get here. And now I feel like I'm a, pr- a preschool a playground manager. I'm just, you know, all the gossip and complaining. And they keep coming to me to solve their problems when I hired them because they're so great. Why aren't they solving their problems? Because they're not a cohesive team. So it's not just you. And you don't, you wouldn't have known it by now because of the way that we do it in organizations. And you can change it today. I promise. Amazing. You mentioned getting your master's and doctorate. If you can go back to your time as a student, what advice would you give yourself at that time? First of all, yes, you'll finish. Yes, you'll finish. <laughs> um, and I I had two potential dissertation topics. One was kind of the, what the heck? Why do we know so much about teams? And everywhere I go, leaders are struggling with their teams. So that was one. The other was, how come I've had so many bad bosses? Mm. Uh, toxic, dysfunctional, why do they keep getting promoted? They're terrible. And I don't think leaders realize it. Or leaders know, and for some reason it helps them. They're terrible. I really wanted to do the the um, the the toxic leadership because it was so, I'm so passionate about making the world a better place and and eradicating those toxic leaders. I could not spend, well, spend what was going to be two, three, or four years um, thinking about toxic leaders. What I'd love to have told myself back then is, that's okay, because you're going to get to a point where you're going to create a methodology and an approach and a coaching ability that can help leaders figure that out without shining the light on toxic leader A or toxic leader B. It's going to naturally bubble up in the process, and leaders are going to be equipped to manage it without it feeling like a major overhaul. Amazing. Marjay, I've written a whole page of notes here. I have really enjoyed our conversation and just want to say thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your story and your insights. I know it's going to resonate with a lot of people. I mean, you, this was chock full of of so many great nuggets. So thank you so much. I I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. And um, enjoy the rest of your week. I appreciate it. Thanks. You as well. 